0: Good evening, everyone. It's um, yeah, it's it's good to have all of you here this evening. It's much fuller than before worship, hey. Eh? Like when when we got when we started with worship, and I look back at some points, I'm like, oh okay, there's more people that came. So it's lovely to see all the latecomers. God forgives you for for coming late to church. Um, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so tonight it's yeah, it's it's good to be able to preach. It feels like I haven't really preached in a while. Um, And we are going to start somewhat of a new series, we'll do it for a few weeks, I think probably five weeks I might not be the only one preaching, but there's there's something that we as elders have discussed, and I've been feeling on my heart that we want to speak about, and if you look at the title slide, it is called Acts 29, now any Christians in here would know that there's only 28 chapters in the book of, um, I'm just joking, no I'm not joking, there are only 28 chapters in the book of, of Acts. So, the reason—no, you're not catching my joke, eh? Okay. You get it. All right. So, the reason reason for the name is that, as a church, we really believe that we want to build ourselves according to the New Testament. We don't want to have a business model of church. We don't want to have a, a marketing model of church or an organizational model. We want to say, God, what have you shown us throughout the Scriptures and specifically in the book of Acts? Because when I was at Bible school, I learned that the book of Acts, there's this catchy phrase that says the book of Acts is descriptive and not prescriptive, meaning it describes what happened with the early Christians, but it doesn't prescribe for us to do. And the more I've thought about that, and the more I've learned about church and the story of the birth of the early church, I realized, no, it's not really the truth. The book of Acts is both descriptive and also prescriptive. Because in it, we see the birth of the most healthy church to ever walk on the face of the earth. And everything in me says, God, that church that I see in the book of Acts, that is the church that I would love to see as Thales PM and as Josh Chen. That's the church that we want to see in our day and age today still. And so the reason for the title Acts 29 is the heart is honestly that what we see here would be a continuation of what God started in the early church in the book of Acts. So we want to be the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. Now you get me, okay? We are the 29th chapter. We want to go on with what God actually started there. So there's a couple of things that we're going to preach about the next few weeks. And in essence, what, what we'd like to do is speak about some of the core values that we learn in the book of Acts that the church carry. Because if we carry those values, then we would see the things that we see in the book of Acts. And who agrees with me that you, I just don't want to only read what I, s- like believe what I see in the Bible, I want to see what I see in the Bible, amen? amen? And that's a revelation, we actually are able to see the things, we're able to see a church like the church of the, the Bible, like the church of the book of Acts, if we, if we understand the values that they carried, and we learn to live out those same values. So we're going to speak about the fact that they were a devoted people, and that's what we're going to focus on tonight. I want to speak about the fact that they were an obedient people. They were amazingly obedient. If God said it, they did it, and and if we catch that value, we're going to look like the book of Acts. They were supernatural people, and that freaks us out, but there are so many miracles and supernatural events in the book of Acts, and the church today, we just don't see enough of it. Think about two months ago, we had someone going through deliverance in church, and I'm like, God, I want more of that. (laughs) Want more of that? We want more healings. We want more people to get radically saved out of like bad spaces. We want to see the supernatural. Like they saw the supernatural. They valued the supernatural. They were a robust people. They were persecuted, killed for their faith, but they died singing songs to Jesus. If we can be like that, we would be Acts 29. And they were a missional church. They're a missional people. They didn't only live for themselves, but they lived for God, and they lived for other people. So those are some of the things we're going to be focusing on. I'm really excited, and I'm hoping that as we look at the book of Acts, I want to actually ask you, maybe go read through the book of Acts as we go through it for the next four or five weeks. Go read through it. See the things we see there, and I'm trusting that some of that will be birthed in us, and that we would catch on to them as values. Amen? Amen. Amen. No, that's not... No, anyway, I'll pray. <laughs> i will rather try praying. Then we'll start. God, thank you so much for this evening, Lord. Thank you, God, for your church. Thank you for your Bible that actually teaches us your ways. And God, as we look at the book of Acts, the story of the early church, the story of early Christianity and a healthy church that boomed, Lord, that turned the world upside down, I pray that you would give us some keys into the things that they understood and that they lived and that they believed, Lord. And I pray that you would put those things in us as a church. So that we would be a church, not that successful in a worldly sense, but successful in the eyes of God. That's what we want to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we, uh, there's, there's a speech. I read up on it a little bit this week. Um, anyone that studied a bit of history would have heard about Martin Luther King Jr. And he had this speech. I don't know if you, if you know it. It's called, I have a dream. I have a dream. And it's an inspiring speech. I actually listened to a portion of it this week because it, it popped up as I was preparing for this sermon. And he preached this in th- front of thousands of people. And it's one of those, those uh, speeches that will go down in history as one that really transformed a people because they saw the vision that this man was seeing. He saw a united America. That's actually what he saw. Black and white coming together, living in harmony, people having equal opportunity. That's what he saw. He was a Christian man. He preached it. And then he he had this speech, and people were ecstatic about what they saw there. They were inspired by it, and they grabbed onto it. And people to this day are still aspiring to the things that he saw when he preached, that he has a dream. And that dream that he had became the dream of thousands, if not millions, of Americans and people throughout the world. And I want to say in that same way that Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream, as elders of Josh Jane, not just us, but in the wider Josh Jane. Let am to say that we have a dream too. We have a dream. We have a dream. This is, I wrote down a few things. This is just me sitting down in my preparation saying, what is my dream? If I had to say, what is my dream for Staly's PM? These are some of my dreams. I dream of a church where every single person is involved and not just attending. That's my dream. I have a dream of A people coming together excited to worship God every week and then worshiping Him exuberantly. That's a dream I have. I have a dream of a people willing to lay down anything for the sake of God and His kingdom. Anything it takes for Him. I have a dream of a church where people get saved regularly and baptized regularly and then live unashamedly for God. That's my dream. I have a dream... Of holy gospel going through the community about the awesome things that God is doing through this group of people. That we hear the stories in town and say, Have you heard about that church where God is moving? That's my dream. I have a dream of people being set free from bondage regularly that the world and the devil has placed on them, and people coming and living in freedom that they never thought they would have experienced because of the power of God. That's the dream. I have a dream of people living in true community with one another beyond a Sunday and a Wednesday. Now, I always tease about the fact that if you're a good Christian, you come to church on Sundays. If you're a really good Christian, you go on Wednesdays as well. But that's not the truth. The dream is that it would be throughout our lives. We live together in true community. The dream is that we don't only call Wednesday evenings community, but community is something that we live out. I have a dream of people discipling one another and caring for one another deeply, speaking into each other's lives, carrying each other's burdens. That's the dream. I have a dream of people caring for one another and looking after those in need, that there would be no needy people amongst us because we are willing to give what we have for those who are in need. That's the dream. And I'm really trusting that as we go through this series and as we look at this tonight, because I want to say that I believe this dream is not just a political dream. It's a dream backed in Scripture. That just as people were inspired by Martin, Luther's, Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream, that tonight something of this dream would catch hold of your heart. Listen, we really honestly out of our hearts say that church for us is not only about numbers. It's not about numbers. It's not about width as much as it is about depth. And the dream that we have is of a deep people, a people with a deep love for God, That is honestly the dream, and I'm hoping that you catch on to that dream and realize that you're not just here to fill a pew. If you're here to fill a pew, there are many churches that are looking for pew warmers. In all honesty, we're not looking for pew warmers. The dream is not of a pew warming people. The dream is of a people who are actively serving God. I want to say that this dream, if you can catch on to it, actually is not my dream. It's a dream we find in the book of Acts. It's based in the scriptures. And I want to read you uh, Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. It's like Josh Chen's mantra. If you hear long enough, you would would hear the scripture. Anyone ever heard a a message on Acts 2, 42 to 47? Come. Okay. Why do we keep going back to it? Because we have a dream. We have a dream. And this is the dream. I'm going to read it to you. We're going to go through it um, together. And this is in the NIV, if I'm not mistaken. Listen to this picture. Now, this is the early church. We're going to go into a bit of the history and how they actually got here in a moment. We're going to backtrack, but we're going to just jump into the story of the early church here for a moment. <clears throat> Sorry, my name's Leonard, for those of you who don't know me. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. And the guy who led the meeting is James. He didn't introduce himself, but, and his wife is Andrea. She's not here. Why? My wife is in the back looking after our twin girls. Pleased to meet you, visitors. <laughs> it's good. Carla, Lifi, Boki. <laughs> Boki. <laughs> on my phone, it's my Boki heart. So when I send it to people, I have to say, don't call her that. Only I call her that. <laughs> okay. Here's the dream the Bible puts out for us, and it says, it actually, this is a snapshot of the early church, and everything within you should say, I need to reevaluate the way that I see church. If I see church as something that I attend and I go home and my life carries on, then I need to say, well, actually, this is, this is what I want for church. This is what I see is what I want. Verse 42, They, These disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Yeah, say this word with me. Everyone. Okay, wait, we'll try. I'm not doing well. One, two, three. Everyone was filled with awe. At the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Say it with me, one, two, three. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved I wonder if I had to give you an exercise and say just go sit and write down your dream for the church like I did how much of your dream would align with the dream that scripture gives us here how much of it would come together but because actually if this thing has grabbed our hearts if we say God this is actually possible are we seeing it glimpses But we're not seeing it yet, but if this thing is really possible, then our our hearts, our dream would align with the dream that Scripture is giving us here. So this is what we want. We want this type of church. I mean, they were a radical bunch. They were radical. The Bible actually says of them that they turned the world upside down wherever they went. Out of this group, and this initial group was 120, the first church was much smaller than we are. Smaller than we are. And out of this spawned Christianity that we know today. So God did something in this group. They saw something. They were filled with power, man. And I want to see that. How do we see these things is the big question. How do we do it? Because you know, a a danger that we can find ourselves in in church is something called behavior modification. I read this to you. You come and you try your very best to do it, but you do it out of your own strength. And I want to say, I actually don't think that that's the best way to do it. I think last week I said, um, Mac preached a message, a very practical message, and I said, if, if you're a believer, the best thing that you could do would be to listen to what Mac said tonight and do it. If you're an unbeliever, the worst thing that you could do is listen to Mac's message tonight and do it, because all you're doing is you modifying your behavior because you haven't seen God yet when you see him then you start doing and so we don't just want behavior modification I don't want to stand here tonight and say okay people we need to have better fellowship we need to break bread more all of those things I want to look at how did they actually get here what caused them they didn't have a manual what caused these people to live in the way that they lived and I want to say that I believe it's the very first words can you quickly put up verse 42 again for me please It says, they devoted themselves. The key to all the other things, the key to the outflow, the key to the fruit, was a deep devotion to God. Now, devotion, I went to look up where the origin of this word comes from. It's actually, in the Latin, it means a consecration too. It's, it's 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 a choosing and a dogged determination to say, this is what I want, and this is what I will give myself to. It's like um, when I pursued my wife, I was devoted to going into a relationship with her. And for six months, she was not devoted to being in a relationship with me. She was devoted to putting me in the friend zone. (laughs) And so I remember so many times she would tell me, I would ask, hey, can we go for a coffee? Can we go for a meal? And she would send me a message saying, Leonard, just so you know, I, I'm, I'm actually really only interested in friendship. And that for a guy, that's like, that's quite hurtful. It's quite mean. <laughs> Putting me in the friend zone like, like she did. And I would drive through to Swellendam and I would give up all my money and I would, I would literally not eat for a few days just to have money to buy pizza because I can't be a poor person when I get there. I need to look rich. <laughs> Well, go in those days. You know what we ate when we didn't have money when I was a student, and in this time, this is maybe a tip for the poor students. You, you well, in Josh Chen, you've got many fridges, so you're fine. But when you really don't have, I took um, white bread, butter, and two minute noodles on the bread. <laughs> That's what I ate. But I would sacrifice, <laughs> I would sacrifice. I would free down the the pass, the the Toy's Cliff Pass, because I don't have petrol in my my car. I would free all the way down just to be able to get home, because I know in a few days I'm getting my salary. Why did I do that? Why did the fruit of that come about in my life? Because I was devoted to something. (laughs) I was devoted to finding a wife, because the Bible says, who you finds a wife finds, and she's a good thing, I'm telling you. (laughs) she's a good thing. And I wanted to find this good thing. So I was devoted to it. See, if I walk around to you, and listen, I'm not saying it always works out. It doesn't always. Some of you are going to chase because you're like, Lena did it, and I'm going (laughs) to, listen, bad news. Girls, make it clear. I said, Carla said, I'm interested in friendship. She never said, I'm only interested in friendship. So I was like, (laughs) cool. If a girl says, I'm only interested in friendship, maybe back off. Don't Don't always do what I do, but it it worked out this time. Where am I going with this? (laughs) Relationship tips. (laughs) So if I were to give you tips about relationships, it doesn't help I tell you, listen, eat two-minute noodles on bread. That's not the key. What was the key to my relationship working out, ending in marriage? It was devotion. That's the key. It doesn't help I come to you and I give you the fruit of Acts two forty-two to 47 and tell you, do it as this. What I actually need to do and what we need to see is that happened because of devotion. Because they grabbed onto God and they said, God, I want everything of you. If we can get to that place, the rest will flow. It will be an overflow of our lives. We might need a little bit of discipleship, but it will be easy discipleship because your heart will want it you'll gladly sacrifice, you will gladly give because you are devoted. But how the heck did they get that devoted? Because they were devoted, they were in love with God in a way that I think today very few of us are. Very few of us are willing to do the things that they did. Let me tell you what they did. They literally, just to give you a little bit of context, these group of people, they were all Jews, this original church. The, the church that was birthed firstly was only Jews. Gentiles, us, Philistines, only came part later. Initially, it was just Jews. And they came to Jerusalem where the Holy Spirit was poured out because there was a festival called the Passover festival. And Jews have a couple of feasts every year that are very important in their calendar. And so. For these festivals, as far as you could, you would get on your donkey or on your horse and you would travel to Jerusalem because that's the holy city. It's God's promised land for his people. And maybe you would stay in different places, but all the Jews that could, they would take off work for that amount of time and they would actually say, okay, cool, I'm going to go to Jerusalem to go to this feast. Now, this feast was a beautiful feast. It was actually the Passover feast and they were celebrating the book of Exodus Right in, uh, well, we exactly in the book of Exodus, I'm not 100% sure, but in the book of Exodus, there's a portion after the plagues in which Moses wanted to free the the people from uh, from being captive, held captive by the Pharaoh. The last plague, you remember what that was? It was the angel of death that was going to come and kill all the firstborn children of every single house, okay? This is how this festival started. I'm just giving you a bit of context here. And so the last plague, after Moses went to the people of God and to Pharaoh and said, the people of God must go. God wants to take them into the desert. And Pharaoh said, no, so many times God said, okay, I'm going to do the last thing. And it's really beautiful. And God said to his people, the firstborn of your house will not die if you go to an unblemished lamb, perfect lamb, spotless, without spot or wrinkle, or blemish, I can't remember, wrinkled, I don't think sheep have wrinkles. (laughs) blemish (laughs) a perfect lamb there can be no defect on this lamb that you can see you slaughter that lamb you take the blood of the lamb and you put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your house and when the angel of death comes if it sees the blood of the lamb on your house the angel of death and death will pass you by and you your children will not die but if you don't have the blood of the lamb on your house the firstborn of every house will die Now, the Jews were then, death passed them over. That's where the word passed over comes from. Death passed them over. And then as they went into the desert, and they were in the desert 40 years, they started celebrating every year that day, they would celebrate the Passover feast. Now, here's the beautiful thing. When Jesus came and Jesus died, he died exactly on the Passover feast. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is the unblemished lamb. Is the perfect lamb that was slain for us. And if the blood of Jesus, if you accept him as your Lord and Savior, if the blood of Jesus is over your life, then death passes you over. Celebrating this Passover feast. So the Jews were celebrating this feast that's actually about Jesus, but they don't know it's about Jesus. The lamb that would be slain for them. And on that exact day, he was slain for them. But I just want to tell you, I'm just giving you a bit of context of what happened here. So these Jews come together, and these are 120 of them gathering in an upper room in Jerusalem, because Jesus said to them, when I die, when I leave, it's actually better for you, because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, my helper, to you, and I want you to go wait in an upper room in Jerusalem, and then I will send my Holy Spirit to you, so this 120 people, they are obedient, they're the first church ever, and they go, and they're in this upper room, and they're praying to God, and they're worshiping God, and as they're worshiping God, I, I don't know how long they were there. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit comes into the room. And it's like a f- tongue of fire that came upon their heads. I don't our, our little children's Bible that we read for our kids, it's like this little flame. I don't know if it was an engulfing flame or a little flame. That doesn't really matter. And all of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. They started speaking in tongues. And, uh, and the people outside in Jerusalem who were here for this festival, the Passover festival... They heard people speaking in foreign languages that they could understand because they're from different regions. And they were freaked out by it. And they say, these people are drunk and it's only nine o'clock in the morning. I must be in Boxburg. (laughs) Shucks, I just saw the time when I looked at that. Hectic, okay. Yes, how am I going to land this thing? Not land it, but just go quickly. I just saw the time, hectic, okay. I don't know how that happened. Um... Anyway, so they like, cool, these people must be drunk. And Peter comes out. Peter stands up and he starts preaching to the Jews. And he says to them, People of Jerusalem, these people are not drunk like you supposed, but it is the Holy Spirit that came because Jesus who died said he would come. And you are the one who crucified Jesus. He actually tunes them. And out of that, 3,000 Jews men, and I think many women as well, and children, say, but that Jesus that was crucified, I want to follow that Jesus. I want to follow Him. And so, I'm just trying to think I'm going to do this. <laughs> I've got so much still to say, but I'm going to try and finish it in about 10 minutes. So, we'll be a bit later um, this evening. But, So these people actually then get saved and get baptized. They didn't take long. We'll speak about obedience later, but it didn't take long for them. They were saved and baptized immediately afterwards. We separate those two. They never separated it. Salvation, baptism, repentance, baptism. They put those two together. They got baptized. Now, not everyone there got saved. 3,000 got saved, but not everyone got saved. And the 3,000 got saved They were so in awe with what they saw that they were totally devoted, and they are this group that we read about. So we need to look, if we delve into the history of the Jewish people, why did some not see it, and why did some see it? This is a little bit of a history lesson. So here's something about the Jews. If you read throughout the Old Testament, you pick up hints of the Jews waiting for someone who they called the Messiah, The Messiah would be a savior figure that would come and that would save the people of Jerusalem. You would save the Jews. And it's really interesting. I I did some research, but I think there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament of a Messiah that would come for the people. And so any Jew, the Jews who are not Christians today still believe that there's a Messiah that is to come. They don't recognize that Jesus is and was the Messiah that came for them. But it's this mythical figure that the Jews had been waiting for. And with these 300 prophecies, it's actually so scarce that one person, the the chance is so slim that one person would be able to fulfill all of these prophecies. I want to read you something by a guy called Peter Stone. He says, what they did is they did research and they looked at only eight of the 300 prophecies about Jesus and they thought, what is the chance that one person would be able to fulfill eight of these prophecies? Because there's, for instance, a prophecy that Jesus, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. There's a prophecy that says that his hands and his feet will be pierced, but no bone will be broken in his body. There are these incredible prophecies that, to the T, tell us exactly who Jesus was. So Peter Stone says the following about this Messiah and the chances of Jesus being the Messiah. He says, let us try to visualize this chance. If you mark one of ten tickets and place all of the tickets in a hat... And thoroughly stir them. So just ten tickets, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one. His chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten. That's easy, okay? Suppose that we take ten to the power of seventeen silver dollars. I don't know how much that is. Tinturi mach seventeen. That's a lot, right? Okay. We take ten to the power of seventeen silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. Texas is a big state in America. They will cover all the state two feet deep. How, how deep is two feet? Almost a meter. So you didn't lie the entire Texas, just imagine that, the entire Texas, almost a meter deep in silver dollars. It says, now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. You're seeing the picture. It says, blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. Then you ask, what chance would he have of getting it right? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. Just imagine that. Only eight of the 300 prophecies, and that is the chance of Jesus getting it Right? So they were skeptical. They're like, how is this possible that this Jesus would come? And the big thing for them is they thought that this Messiah that would come would be a political figure. He would be a person that wouldn't come on a donkey. He would come on a horse. He would come triumphant. And he would become like their president, like their king. And he would take the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, and he would make them into a prosperous people. And then Jesus comes, this Messiah that they were waiting for. He comes on a donkey, he washes people's feet, he dies on a cross, the worst death that any person could die, and many of them thought this could not be the Messiah that we were waiting for. We're waiting for a triumphant Messiah, one that would take away all our problems, one that would make us rich because we will become a powerful nation, but then Jesus comes and he says, I'm not the one that is going to change your life outwardly. I'm going to do more. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to change your heart. And I believe that when those Jews stood there that day and they heard this message of Peter standing up saying, This is the Messiah that we were waiting for, those people had a choice. I'm going to decide that Jesus in my head was always the God that would make me successful. He was always the God that would cater to my needs, that would make me rich, that would give me comfort. But now Peter says, no, 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 this is the Messiah, and they had to make a choice. Am I going to serve that God that I thought he was, or am I going to come and say, the God that I thought he was was wrong. This life is not going to be about me and my riches, my success, but if I follow this God, it's going to be a life totally laid down. It's going to be all about him a God who would come and change my heart and wants me to change the hearts of others. See what they had to do. They had to make a choice. To say, God, God is not about me. I am about God. God is not about me. And I think if they made that choice and they made it correctly, devotion sprung up in their hearts and they said, oh man, what a beautiful God. Oh man, what a beautiful God. And I want to stand before you tonight and I want to say, There are three things that I'm trusting for as I land. I want to see the things that they did. I want to see that happening. I want to see those things happening. But in order to see that happening, we need to see devotion in our hearts, true devotion to God. But in order to see true devotion in our hearts, we need to come to a place where we don't miss who God is and don't think that God is about us. But say, God, you are much bigger than my needs. You are the one that wants to come and change my life. You want to give me salvation. You want to come and change me, transform me. God, it is all about you. We need to change our perspective about God and lay down our lives completely and find devotion. So I'm just going to um, end by this. You know, th- these, these original disciples, these original believers, they were totally radical. There was a move of God And they literally sold their houses. They stayed in Jerusalem. They gave up everything to stay there, which is beautiful. I'd love to see that in Stellenbosch. I'm thinking, yes, there's some of you that I know are encountering God here in this church. And I'd love to actually see how some of you say, God is doing something here. I want to stay. Got a career opportunity somewhere else. I want to stay because God is doing something here. Now, I'm not saying you should. You should be led by God. Some, some of you, God wants to move into other places, but I'd love to see a people so devoted to the things of God that we don't just assume I need to move on, but that we say, God, wherever you want me, that's where I'll be, because that's what they did. These were a people that offered up their money. Money wasn't an issue for them. They laid their money at the apostles' feet and said, you do with it what you think. I'd love to see a people like that. We're not clinging to our money, but we say our money is also for the kingdom of God for the kingdom of God, to see the kingdom of God advanced. These people lay down their lives. They were persecuted. They died for their faith. I'd love to see people that when we are persecuted, when bad things are said about us, that we say we don't care. We're living for Jesus. But in order to see those things, we need to make sure that our devotion is in the right place. We need to ask ourselves, am I wholeheartedly devoted to the things of God? Have I grabbed onto it? Have I seen the beautiful Savior Have I made it all about him and not about myself? And am I pursuing him, grabbing hold of him and saying, God, I want to be devoted to you? Where's your devotion at? How devoted are you to seeing God fully in your life? We can stand.